Thank you for tuning in to the 193rd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you for tuning in wherever you are, wherever you may be listening, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or any podcasting app you are listening to me via being recorded from Buffalo, New York. And I have a great show for you today. Going to have Sam Fortier on. He covers that Washington football team. Uh, so we had Sam on, talked a lot about Washington, talked a lot about the Redskins. Uh, it's no longer called the Redskins. It's called the Washington football team. We dove into Alex Smith, Dwayne Haskins, the whole 10 yards. Also, we have Silas Garrison on. And this interview was done about two weeks ago. Uh, not, not two weeks ago, excuse me. It was done about three days ago. And... It's really interesting. We got into a social justice conversation with the NBA, and it wasn't something I intended at all. And we, we got into kind of race relations. We got into how Silas feels about the NBA in China, what he would say to the average fan who says, I watch sports to escape, right? I work a nine to five job. I go home, just want to crack a beer, relax and watch a game. Silas goes into his message to that person. And it was really interesting and apropos now because of what's going on in the world of sports, right? A, uh, another shooting, and we have the NBA decide to boycott games. The NHL boycotted games. The MLB boycotted games, which is something we haven't really seen in sports. When we've seen multiple sports leagues not play, particularly when it's the fact that this is the postseason. And for the MLB's fact, I don't even know if they can reschedule these games because, right, they're on a 60-game season. The, the, the season's condensed anyway. Like, they're trying to get all this stuff in. So th this is a lot that they're doing. So I think it was really interesting and apropos that we talked about this, that me and Silas talked about this. And then we kind of have these social justice issues and sports kind of colliding again. So first, we're going to get to Sam Forte. And then after that, we're going to get to Silas Garrison. We're going to have both of those interviews coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest. We have my friend Sam Fortier. He covers the Washington football team, as they call it nowadays, for the Washington Post. How are you doing, Sam? Uh, I'm doing well. I'm impressed that this, uh, this podcast has a, has a real name, and it's not just called the Sports Podcast. <laughs> and, and, and we got to talk about this. So, can you just talk about the whole changing of the name to the Redskins? Because at first, I feel like people were coming up with different names that they wanted Washington to have, and then it just became the Washington football team, which is like the most bland name, like not even a name ever. They don't even have a logo. When you go on ESPN and you look at all the logos of the team, like it doesn't have one. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a yellow W, I think. But, uh, I mean, this process really started 4th of July weekend, Thursday, Pepsi and FedEx come out and they say, hey, you got to change the name. It's racist. Uh, there's a lot of blowback from the fans. Hey, that's not true. Obviously, a lot of people have been defending this name for a long time. The team announces it'll review. Uh, it takes a couple weeks for them to review and then say, hey, we're going to retire the name. And they said at the time, we have about six weeks until training camp. We want to get, uh, or, or no, excuse me, they have three weeks until training camp. We want to get a new name in. And it was like, okay, you have six weeks until the season. Maybe you can pull something off. And then about two or three weeks later, they say, hey, we're actually not going to be able to pull off a name change in time and do it the right way. So we're just going to use Washington football team as kind of a placeholder for at least the next 12 to 18 months. And we'll try to come up with something that, that the fans will like that, uh, that you know, can inspire some, some change in this franchise and this community. Um, that, that's what they're going for right now, and that's where the, 
situation stands. How do you feel about the name change? How, how do you think it was received? Do you, do you think it was time for it to change, or do you think it was kind of a little premature? I I think that the, that enough momentum had built up just over the years. I mean, people started protesting this name about 40 years ago, saying that it was racially insensitive, and then obviously 2013-14, when Robert Griffin III brings them kind of back to national prominence, then there was like that second wave of, of activism against the team. You saw in approval polls, uh, the acceptability rating of, of the name went down. And I think, you know, with, with the George Floyd protests, with, with Black Lives Matter, with the social moment that we're in right now, people said, hey, you know, statues coming down. People said, hey, I think it might be time for us to, to move on from, from that name. So uh, I think it was just an, an inevitability, if you will. Do you think and now when we talk about the, the obviously they're good, they they can't just keep being the Washington the Washington football team. Well, what would be a good name that you think they could use that that you would like? Uh, this is a this is a tough question. And first off, I want to say Washington football team is not great, right? But if they had gone like the British route, if they had gone like Washington Football Club, I low-key think that would have been really tough. Like if they were like Washington Football Club, I totally could have seen them sticking with that long-term, because I personally think it's cool. I, you know, I think a lot of people in our generation really like soccer. They're really warming up to it, and that's kind of a, the soccer template, but that's besides the fact. The name that, that I like, and that really a, a lot of fans in Washington really like the name Red Wolves. Uh, it's, it's a wolf, you know, native to the southeast. Um, they're endangered, so hey, you know, let, let's help protect the species. Uh, it still keeps red, so you have HTTR, you keep the color scheme. Uh, you keep the, the, the fight song. I think a lot of the things that people value about this brand, which is really strong, we should point out, right? Because uh, Washington hadn't had, you know, a good season, you know, a real competitive season in about 20 years. And this is still one of, you know, the top 20 most valuable professional franchise, uh, franchises in sports. It's worth $3.4 billion about, uh, about according to Forbes. So, you want to keep the things that people love about it, which I think is the colors, which is HTTR, which is the fight song. So I think Red Wolves or Red Tails, which would honor some Tuskegee Airmen, those are kind of the two top suggestions in the area so far. Now, I do want to go back really quickly. So, I mean, we were just still talking about this a little bit before we started the podcast. So, and it's crazy to think, like eight months ago, like I had you on the podcast and isn't it crazy to think just how much the world has changed in eight months? It feels like forever, man. I can't believe it's only been eight months. Like, like, like the, the list of things. There's the the Kobe Bryant helicopter crash. There's COVID. There's the the George Floyd thing. They're like, there's just so much stuff. Like, just life changing, kind of as we know it. Oh yeah, I mean, I think the sports the sports world the last year, much like the, the you know the rest of the world has really been just on tremors the entire time. Every time you look up, there's a seismic shift. So I also do have to ask this. So how do you like covering football from baseball? Because you could have covered the Nationals last. Yeah, I covered the Nationals last year. I, I think it's uh, it's totally different, two different, really different things. Baseball is more of a... Um, it, it's more of a lived experience. And by that, I mean... You know, the, the beauty of baseball is going to the park every day, seeing guys, you know, okay, I'm trying to hit this slider in the middle of the year. Um, there's there's so much happening every day, the grind, the slog. Um, but but uh, the beauty of it is in, you know, the day-to-day, in the averages, in, like, in how hard you have to work every day. Football is really geared, everything is geared toward a production on Sunday. So a lot of it is very guarded, a lot of it is very manufactured. I think that... Um, there's some authenticity baseball has that, that football couldn't have. But at the same time, I really like the football production. I love how much it captivates and symbolizes this country. I love how, you know, it, it's still, you know, I think that's our, our nation's pastime, really, is football. And, um, access-wise, it, it's certainly not as good, and, and there's, you know, different logistical challenges. But I think it's, it's really fascinating to cover a league at this time that, that keeps pushing through and, has a bunch of really marketable stars changing teams, and um, it's just a really good time to, to be around the league. So, for you as a reporter, how, how does it work with COVID and you? Uh, like, are, are you are you allowed to be close to the players? Like, how does that work? So, basically, 
trade after training camp started, there's two media tiers. One is called 2M, one is called 3OA. 2M is basically like, I am next to the field. I can't talk to or interact with any of the coaches or players, but I'm right there. I can hear what they're saying. I can you know, write observations. Tier 3OA is a little bit further behind. Um, but materially, they're, you know, they're, you're seeing and, and hearing the same stuff. All interviews are conducted via Zoom after practice. Um, you can request players one-on-one or coaches one-on-one after, uh, after practice. Uh, but that's kind of up to the team's discretion. So it, it definitely, you know, there's no open locker room. There's no grabbing a guy who comes off the field. There's no starting up a conversation with a front office guy. Um, that That is non-existent. So the Zoom definitely makes it harder. It makes it more homogenized because everyone is, is getting the same information. But to me, that just says, hey, this is a challenge to go out and find and report something new. Do you think this is kind of, because we kind of talked about COVID, right? Do you think this is kind of forever going to change sports? Like, when do you think things will go back to being normal, where you can pull a player off the sideline? Like, like, like when do you think that will happen? Or, or maybe that can start being discussed again? Once we get a vaccine, whatever that is, if it's really going to be around March to May of next year, as, as I keep hearing, I think that point is when you start saying, hey, we can, we can make this work, we can, you know, figure this out and kind of go back to what we had. Uh, but I'm sure, you know, there's some speculation among writers that, that things will never go back to the way they were, that, you know, NFL teams have, have not, since they kind of, you know, became the behemoth that they are, they've never given more access. They've always wanted to close things off or restrict this or restrict that or pay for social media and videos. So there's definitely some faith or some worry that this could be a permanent change, but I'm hoping that post-vaccine we're going to get back to the world that we had. Now, in terms of how the Redskins have handled COVID, like, what are their protocols? Do they have specific protocols in terms of how many people can be in a meeting room? Like, how does that work with their team? So, they're just following the NFL league-wide rule, uh, which, you know, is like 10, 10 media members in that 2M, that top tier of media access, and then I think a max of 30 in their, um, in their tier 308, that second tier. And then, basically... Everything else is just adopted by the league. You can't have more than 80 players in the facility. Um, they kind of took over the media room to have to be as one of their meeting rooms for players because they had to socially distance. They, could, they couldn't socially distance at their current setup in the facility. So, um, I mean, they're just following the league protocol, but putting a couple twists on it. And how do you think a season works? Because we've kind of seen in baseball, some teams like the Marlins, they've had to uh, quarantine. And the thing about football is, right, you have like, so many guys on the team, right? Like, you have 50, 60 guys. Like, everybody goes home. They all do their own thing. How do you think that works uh, in, in the NFL? And, and, and what do you think is going to happen, like, if a player gets COVID? Like, like how do you think all that works? I don't think it's going to work, personally. And by, by I don't mean it's going to work. It's not going to work. I mean that I don't think you'll you'll have no COVID cases or you'll have the return rates that you have in the bubble with, with the NBA or the NHL. I know, obviously, it's unrealistic for the NFL to, to create a bubble just because there are so many people. We're talking 150, 200 people of personnel that, that causes that that causes that team to run on a daily basis. It's just impossible. And, and I think it's impossible to have every player, to have every staff member be as responsible as possible. I think you can point to any number of examples, including that Seahawks cornerback who tried to sneak a girl back to his room by dressing her in a jersey. Like... Like, you know, if you, if, you, if you put 200 people or 150 people times 32 teams, not everyone's going to be accountable. Ron Rivera, the, the coach of, uh, of Washington, he really believes that if everyone can be accountable, if everyone can follow the protocols, they will be okay. And, and I just don't think that that is a realistic expectation. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. When you have a and he got cut too. The Seattle that that Seahawks player, he got cut. He was he was like a practice squad guy. He was undrafted. Hey man, if, you're an, if you're an undrafted free agent who got a $2,000 signing bonus, I would not recommend doing something like that. <laughs> but that's the crazy part, and that's what makes this so interesting. He's somebody that has everything to lose, and he still did it. <laughs> what about when somebody that has nothing to lose, and they still do it? That's the question. Right. No, I mean, if, if we see someone, you know, a starting quarterback or, you know, a top running back do it, or a top skill position player, I mean, that's, that's a totally valid possibility, and I don't think we're ready to deal with that. So you do think football will finish their season, right? 
Yeah, I, I do. Unless something catastrophic happens, you know, let's say a player or, or multiple players die, I think that is really one of the only, if not the only way that this season stops because the NFL is built on an ethos of next man up. They are built on, okay, you're injured, you're not available, we fired you, we need to move on. It's all about putting the best product in the field as possible on Sunday, and, and if that means that you have a whole practice, guy, uh, a whole team of practice squad guys, that's what they're going to do. I, I really believe that, or hey, you know, we need to postpone your game a week and push the Super Bowl back. They already have contingency plans in place for that. So I, I really think the NFL is, is full steam ahead. And, and if college football does not get a season off, they're going to want to put those games on broadcast on Saturday. This is a, this is a, a large-scale endeavor for the NFL. And, and there's a lot of money to be made. And if there's one thing I know about NFL owners, it's they don't leave money on the table. That, that's very true. And when you talk about NFL owners not leaving money on the table, I believe last week Jerry Jones was talking about uh, having fans in the stadiums. Do you think that will actually happen? Could, could you like could you imagine fans being in the stadium this NFL season? It, it, it is certainly tough to imagine. And I think I, I don't know the whole specifics of, of Dallas's uh, plan. I think with how big Jerry World is, you could probably fit a couple thousand fans in the stadium and still have everybody six feet apart how massive that place is, but I, I think it's, it's really difficult to imagine fans being in the stands, to have, you know, anyone in the stands, honestly, outside of, uh, outside of, you know, maybe coaches or, or players who aren't playing. It's really tough to imagine that if, if we don't have vaccine. So I do want to go back to the Redskins, right? So we have Alex Smith, who really had a catastrophic uh, leg injury a couple of years ago. He's gotten back. Uh, a lot of times people didn't think he would he would be able to play. I, th- I think they said that he could lose his leg. Like he had multiple surgeries, like, like really bad, ugly injury. And, and, and now he's back. Where do you think Alex Smith's standing is with the team now as, you know, right, they have a young quarterback in Dwayne Haskins? I mean, Alex Smith's leg injury is catastrophic. The... the infection he got afterward seriously almost killed him. He had 17 surgeries. Uh, it, it, it's a miracle that he is alive, much less walking, much less playing quarterback. Uh, we actually spoke to him today for the first time since December, and he said, you know, obviously he, he still, he thinks this is it. He thinks this is like the final test. Can he stay on the field? Can he go through all these workouts? Um, and ultimately, the biggest question is, can he take a hit? Um, I think there's a lot of questions to be answered, including can he take hits? before we start talking about him as, as a competitor and a quarterback, especially over Dwayne Haskins, who is arguably the most important player of this season for Washington. What can he do? Can he be the guy? Um, so Alex has a long way to go, but obviously if, if you've learned nothing else throughout this whole process, it's to not count him out. I completely agree. It, it really is amazing that he's playing. I, I thought he would be done after, after that, but props to Alex Smith. So I do want to go to Dwayne Haskins, right? So... His, his rookie year was, you know, not as, wasn't great. It wasn't as good as uh, Daniel Jones or, or Kyler Murray, two contemporaries in his class, uh, or even a Gardner Minshew, a guy that, you know, was kind of came out of nowhere and played really well. How much pressure do you think is on Dwayne Haskins to kind of go up a level? Well, there's a tremendous amount of pressure. I think the most important of this season for Washington is, can Dwayne Haskins be the franchise quarterback? If he is, that's awesome, and you have someone to build around. If he's not, you have to move on. Because Ron Rivera is on his second tight coaching job that in a league dominated by offense, dominated by smart offensive minds, you know, he could be, you know, fighting for his last, or, or, you know, for this to not be his last tight coaching job. Because I think the league might pass him by if if he proves that he can't do this now. So uh, I, I think... Because there's so much pressure on Ron, there's a lot of pressure on Dwayne to show am I the guy or not the guy. Because next year's draft class with Justin Fields, with Trey Lance, with Trevor Lawrence, I mean, that class is loaded. So um, you have to determine is Dwayne Haskins the guy. And, and for him, that means improving his mechanics, improving his decision making, showing he can be a leader on and off the field. Those are the main points that this coaching staff is looking to to find out that answer. Now, I remember during the draft, there was kind of a little bit of talks, a little bit of rumors about potentially the Redskins uh, drafting a, a guy like Tua Tagovailoa. How much validity do you think were in those rumors? It's tough to say. I would say 
that they were investigating all options, that they were doing their due diligence, but with how much Ron Rivera is a defensive guy, he was a former linebacker on that 85 Bears team, um, with, with how special that he feels Chase is, Chase Young, I really think they were not going to move off that number two pick and, and, and two and second by Loa unless they got a franchise-altering offer. We're talking three or more first-round picks. We're talking an absurd amount of value uh, to move up to number two. So I think while you know they were open to the idea the entire time, I don't think that the concept or the possibility that it would have taken them to move off the number two pick was all that realistic. So I think they were locked in on Chase Young almost the entire time. But when you, but Sam, when you mention right, they're keeping their options open. Here, what I would say is that, right, when if when you're when you're dating the most attractive girl, you know, it's not always like I I have uh, my options are open, right? Like when you're kind of thinking, you're like, do I really want to be with this person? That's when your options, you know, start to open. So my old thing was always like whether they draft uh, Chase Young or, or, or two attack of To me, that's irrelevant. It's the fact that they would even think about the possibility of maybe Dwayne Haskins isn't our guy because I think you know as there's regime changes we, we kind of saw in Arizona how quickly uh, Josh Rosen got the kibosh so what would you say the percentage is in terms of the faith the Redskins organization has in Dwayne Haskins and his confidence right now at least publicly percent faith in him they are saying all the right things they are giving him all the right opportunities he's taking all of the first team reps to practice right now but I, I think that I think that's what you have to do if you're going to give this quarterback a chance to, to win your starting job and to be the face of your franchise moving forward as the, as the quarterback. I think, you know, those are all things you need to do internally. Um, that's a, you know, whether or not they think that, that this progress is real and, and whether or not they think he could be the guy. Uh, I think they don't know yet. They want to see him on the field uh, in training camp for more than a couple of days. Uh, this is the question they're trying to answer as well. And when you mentioned Chase Young, and you kind of talked about it, generational prospect, how good do you think he's going to be? Oh, man. I mean, as good as he can, as good as he wants to be, I really think that this kid has all of the tools. And I think it really goes back to the way, you know, his high school coaches trained him. Like, they put him in position player drills. And I think the thing that makes Chase Young different, the thing that makes him special as opposed to any of the other pass rushers, the Bosa brothers, Jadavian Clowney, Miles Garrett, uh, any of those dudes, is that he can drop into coverage. Like, if you put him up, you, if you run a stunt and you say, okay, Chase, you're out, you're covering that back out of the flat, like, he can do that. And he not only can he do it, he can be fluid. So he just allows your defense to be so much more versatile and, and he gives you so many other options. So I think that is, is as much his value as, as him disrupting the, the quarterback and, and kind of overpowering offensive linemen. So uh, I think the dude can be as good as, as he wants to be. And, and really, I mean, Chase Young's own camp is already using the phrase, like, best to ever play this game. That's what he wants to be. And then you also look at their D-line too, right? So they're going to have Chase Young. They're going to have uh, Payne. They're going to have Allen. And, and right, Montez Sweat. So you have, were they all first-round picks? So four first-round picks on the D-line? They, they have five first-round picks. Uh, yeah, Kerrigan, right? Uh, Kerrigan? They, they also have Ryan Kerrigan. They also have Montez Sweat. So just how, because, right, you know, one of the quarterbacks, the most important position, I'm always like, well, you need guys that can get after the quarterback. So uh, how much do you think that is going to be able to kind of vault Washington up in terms of a team that can win games with that defensive line? because I have thought throughout the entire year, hey, they're trying to be the next version of that San Francisco defensive line that, that helped their coverage unit and kind of propelled them to the Super Bowl. That's what Washington wants to be, and we kind of built them up all offseason as, as that. But really, I mean, you talk to defensive coordinator Jack Del Rio, and he's like, hey, they had all of these guys except for Chase Young on the team last year, and they, and they were a mediocre, if not bad, unit last year. So... He, he wants to see some results. He wants to see some tangible improvement before he starts, you know, hyping everyone up and talking about how good this unit can be. And and, and while I think some of that is coach speak, you know, hey, you know, uh, you don't play games with, with your roster on paper, uh, I really do think some of that is legitimate because they have underperformed for so long. And then we have Ron Rivera. 
And, and I think he's a guy, uh, you know, is, I don't think he personally should have been fired from Carolina. I think they they made the wrong decision there. But Washington's able to scoop him up. How much of a culture changer do you think he is from the Jake Rudin era? I said, how much do you think Ron Rivera is a culture changer as opposed to the Jay Gruden era? Oh, I mean, that is the number one thing we have heard, and we will not stop hearing from Ron Rivera. You know, he wants to build a sustainable winning culture. That is that is what he is about. That is his, that is his vibe. That is his ethos. Um, he wants, you know, it to be done right. And he's really building it from the ground up. I mean, you saw he cleaned house with most of the coaching staff. He cleaned house uh, with players. He brought in his own guys. Uh, he's remaking the culture. I think, you know, today he was out on the practice field and, and all of his positional coaches are getting after their guys. Hey, you know, we need you to lock in. We need you to do X, Y, Z. And, and that intensity is something that we did not see under Jay Gruden. So, you know, in terms of making this franchise fiery, in terms of making them competitive, in terms of turning over a, a new leaf from a stagnant and, and what was described as a toxic culture, it sounds like as much as putting football talent on the field, that's Ron Rivera's job description this year. Unless I want to ask you, how big do you think the NFC East is? Do you think the NFC East is the uh, best division in terms of rivalries? Uh, in terms of historic rivalries, that's possible. Um, you know, just kind of with, with the Cowboys and the Eagles and the Giants. I mean, these franchises go after each other. But I think, you know, in terms of skill set, you got to look at the NFC West this year as being like that division. But but in terms of historic rivalries, yeah, i got to say the NFC East is probably the best. Sam, thank you for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Of course. Thank you for having me. And coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Silas Garrison on the show to talk about social justice and sports. We hit the NBA. We talk about China. We also get into issues of NBA players protesting how America should feel about that. Talk about all that. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. with Barbershop Sports Talk and we have a man who is I don't think you've been on the podcast Silas in a minute how have you been doing Silas I'm alright I'm alright I'm enjoying the bubble I'm enjoying the bubble enjoying my summer my summer's winding down so I'm doing good man how happy are you to have NBA back NBA basketball back man I'm really happy about it Daryl you already know how I'm coming you know obviously I'm, I'm happy that the, that the NBA is back I'm, I'm glad that you know I get to watch this you know beautiful game of basketball um, I love basketball so much in spite of all the other sports that I've played in my life. Basketball is by far my favorite sport um, to watch and to play. Um, but even deeper than that, I'm very happy, very proud of the stances that um, the NBA has taken with the Black Lives Matter movement, social injustices, racial injustices. Um, we're furthering a conversation in this country that typically uh, we're scared to have, right? We're typically scared to have racial conversations. Um, we're scared to further that type of, of conversation for fear of how we might make other people feel, we might make people feel uncomfortable. And the realization is a lot of these NBA players, especially the NBA players who are uh, black and brown people, have been feeling uncomfortable um, in this climate um, of, of racial uh, diversity and racial discrimination in this country. So I'm just so happy that we're able to further this conversation while having basketball. And I think it's so beautiful when we can mix and intertwine the real world with sports. And that's what you're seeing right now. So I'm really happy about that. So what would you say about people? Cause, no, because this is actually interesting really quickly. So what would you say about people that have a problem with that and say that politics shouldn't be part of sports or social justice shouldn't be part of sports? I would say that if those people are patriots like they say they are, they're completely contradicting themselves because the fact that you, as we as consumers, enjoy watching these athletes play. We enjoy watching them do their craft. But at the same time, we don't recognize that these athletes also have a platform to speak on issues that matter. You can't get mad at somebody when they want to use that platform. And the only reason why you're upset, uh, and I would, I would contest this, I think a lot of the reason why people are upset with, 
uh, having a platform like this, um, like for example, a LeBron James, is because his platform is just as big as the President of the United States, right? So when he uses his platform, he's able to uh, speak out on issues that typically get suppressed, for example, like unarmed killings of black, of black men and women in this country. That won't happen with a LeBron James because he has just as big as a platform to speak about it, just like uh, President Trump, for example, or anybody else has an ability to have a platform like that, but he gets to suppress that conversation. So I'm not upset at all about that. And like that idea of like, you know, just an example of it, this idea of like, shut up and dribble. <clears throat> I think it's very unfair because if, if, if LeBron James was saying things that the masses of the people loved, you wouldn't have any problem with it. If, if you know, whoever said, shut up and dribble, I guarantee they weren't vote, voting for a Democrat. <laughs> you know what I mean? So clearly that, 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 that came with some personal objectives. Um, and, that, and, that, and, that's all, and that's really all it boils down to. You don't, have, you don't mind politics intermeeting with, with sports as long as those sports players are parroting the same speech that you like. So it's not really fair for you to, for you to, come, to come at it with that angle because you have your own personal objectives. Not you, but I'm saying the people who, who, who uh, create that narrative. Now, what, what about the argument that I could say in a business, because like right, professional sports is a business, you want everybody to want to watch your product and feel comfortable with your product. So why would you go out of your way to alienate a segment of your potential customer base? Because these problems go deeper than money. This problem goes deeper than the consumer. Uh, at the end of the day, this is somebody's job, right? Um, these basketball players, this is their job. This is their responsibility. They also have a responsibility to use their platforms responsibly. And I think the best way that they have shown how to use their platform responsibly is speaking out on issues such as this, racial discrimination and inequality and the lack of equity with black individuals in this country. The majority of the NBA, I think more than 90% of the NBA is black. So to, so to say that uh, your consumer will not like this, the majority of the consumers also as well might be white just because we have uh, black people in this country only make up 30, only 13% of the population. So of course there's going to be more white people who watch the NBA than black, than, than black people who watch the NBA. And in spite of that, uh, black people, even though they know they might be uh, making a certain part of the population uncomfortable and a certain population of the country um, angry when, when they speak about this, I will, I will, I will say it in the words of um, of my friend Kadada Jones, if you're upset, uh, or, or, or if you have questions about if you're racist, if if the NBA players who are taking knees, who are speaking out on racial issues, if that makes you mad, if you're angry that they're using their platform, you don't have to ask if you're a racist or not. Why does that bother you so bad that they want to parrot their speech in a way that you might disagree with? And here, and just lastly, so I can so I can just further this point. You know, we always talk about the men and women in this country, right, who protect and serve us, and that's absolutely true. Another point about that is they protect and serve us, so sometimes we can express opinions that they might disagree with. <laughs> you know, that happens as well. So we also have to be just understanding of that. But the bottom line is um, they do have a platform that they can speak on. They, um, I believe, are using it peacefully, and they're using it responsibly. And as long as they're doing that, I have no problem with it whatsoever. No, and, and I agree with you. But what would you say to the person that? Because I also hear this argument. What would you say to the person that says, "I just watch sports to escape from real life, to escape from politics, to escape from things that make me feel uncomfortable." I just watch sports, right? I get down for my get uh, my eight to five job is done. Just want to have a couple beers and relax and just watch some good athletic competition. I would say I would say for that person, black or white, you have a significant privilege to be able to just to sit there and go home to work, go home to your family, and not have to worry about the uh, uh, the climate of racism in the world that's going on in this country. But the masses of these people in the NBA, ninety percent of them are black, and they have to be black all the time. They're not just black on a basketball team; they're black twenty four seven, and these issues affect them twenty four seven. They affect them at work. They affect them on the street. You, LeBron James just a couple just a couple months ago or just a couple of years ago, excuse me, had the N word sprayed on his Brentwood gate, <laughs> and this man is and, and and this was this was what maybe two days before the finals. The big the, the best athlete in the world it had had the N word sprayed on his gate after after leading a team that had no business being in the finals to the finals. 
I just want to get away from just to get away from life. LeBron James is about to play in the finals and he can't even get away from the fact that he's black in this country. So if the best player in the world can't get away from the fact of knowing that he's just another black person in this country, then and, and, and then he wants to use his platform then to speak on the, those issues, that when then you consider to be you consider yourself to then be a fan of the NBA and you've worked a nine to five and all you want to do is just watch sports, I'm sorry. A lot of the people that you want to watch that are on these NBA teams, their problems go a lot deeper than just a basketball game because they're racially motivated as well. Okay, and I now I kind of want to go to to because people also make the China argument with how you know people will say the NBA will speak on social injustice in America, but they won't talk about what's going on with China when the NBA, as you kind of know, the whole Daryl Morey thing and what's going on in China isn't. Uh, the, the best, let, let's just keep it there. But what would you say to that? I, I, will, I, I, will, I will take a stance that, that pretty much nobody else takes on this. America loves to pass the buck to other people. And, 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 a, and a great way to express this, uh, this, this, this climate in America is to look at it in this perspective. In the 1960s, we had just as much segregation and, and racism uh, and, and lack of equity in black communities in the North the same way we did in the South. But because the North expressed it in a different way, we tried to act as if the North wasn't as racist as the South. The same problems that confronted black people in the, in the South affected them in the North. And you can, and, and this is just factual. Uh, we had the Harlem riots, we had the, we had the, the Rochester riots, we've had just as many riots in the North than we've had in the South. We've had lynchings in the North the same way we have in the South. And what we try and do because we don't want to have a conversation about it, is that we try and suppress one side of the argument to just a whole other area. The same racism happens in the North, but we only want to talk about the South. I'm talking about racism here in America, and then people say, but what about what's going on in China? It's the same thing when we talk about slavery and reparations here in America. And well, how well, black people deserve... Let me listen. Let okay. me There's, we have rep- black people want reparations here in America, right? But then the argument is, well, there was slavery all over the world. We're not talking about all over the world. We're talking about right here in America. Go ahead. Well, what I would say to that, too, and, and I, I agree with what you're saying to, to some extent, but here's what I would say, Silas. The I guess what I guess when I hear concern when I talk to people is that where they're kind of at is that the NBA it's not like the NBA they're, they're disavowed from China they're not making money from China this is kind of you could also look at America at large right a lot of the stuff we get is from other countries and foreign lands but I guess the argument is like how can you only talk about Black Lives Mattering where you're in business with a country that doesn't care about the lives of their own people and you know they're putting muslims in internment camps and there's a lot of other stuff that's going on in china that is major human rights violations i think that i I think that's where people go because the nba is in bed with them they're making money from that let me let me be very clear and i hope everybody out there understands exactly where i'm coming from daryl's point is a hundred percent valid Daryl, you are 100% right on what you're saying, and I can't refute that, nor would I, because I agree with you. I, I, for, 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 for you to talk about racism in this country, but then to do business with, with a place like China reminds me of America talking about racism in the 1950s, but then you, but, uh, racism uh, in, in Africa when they were having an apartheid, but then you had black people here who were, who were being lynched from trees. Don't you tell me about an apartheid in Africa and you got black people here scared of a Ku Klux Klan. You got grown white men running around black communities in sheets with a KKK on their head trying to mean and mangle black people. So, no, I absolutely understand what you're saying. If you're going to call it one way, call it the other way. I understand that entirely. But I'm talking about where I stand specifically, not where the NBA stands. I'm telling you where I stand. One of the biggest problems that we have in this country is that we try and pass the buck, try and pass the problems on to somebody else. It's always a game of not it, right? I don't want to be the person who's racist. So I'm go- so rather than me pointing out that I have racist tendencies, I'm going to point to somebody else who has racist tendencies, and that will then deflect away from me. And I'm saying we cannot allow that to happen. Just be one of the things that I will say about, and this is my last point on it. One of the things that I will say about China is that they don't try and lie about who they are. That's one thing. They absolutely believe in suppression. They absolutely believe in the fittest. I'm better, you're worse. I have this, you don't. This is why you're being treated this way. But America calls itself the land of the free and the brave. China doesn't do that. 
China doesn't call themselves the leader of the free world. Here you are in America, you call yourself the leader of the free world, but you've got one-fifth of the black community in prison for the same drugs that happen at every single college campus in this country. And not obviously, obviously, it's deeper than that. But the majority of the people who are return offenders in this country that go back to jail for drug offenses, the same drugs, weed, heroin, or, or pills, ecstasy, the same drugs that happen at every single college campus in this country, those are the same drugs that the masses of black people go back to go back to jail for. And I just think that it's uh, hypocritical when we try and pass the buck on to China when China doesn't call themselves the leader of the free world at all. They, they believe in suppression. Well, well, and they'll be the first person to tell you. But then here in America, we won't say that. We'll say that we're the leaders of the free world. And clearly, we haven't, uh, we haven't proved those words to be true. Well, so I, uh, maybe I'll explain to you this way. So, if you remember, Tiger Woods kind of uh, painted himself as... Oh, my God. Tiger Woods. We're going to talk about Tiger Woods on racism? <laughs> no, 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 no. He, he, <laughs> he pointed himself out like kind of as the perfect guy, like husband, uh, wife, kids, right, did everything right, and then you have the sex scandal, and, and it kind of tears down everything, and I think maybe what the NBA is doing with the promotion of Black Lives Matter, and it's fine if they're talking about that, but kind of similar to Tiger Woods, like, you can paint yourself that you're doing this, and you're doing all this virtue, but you can't at the same turn be doing semi-supporting something else, what they're doing in China, that is not doing that, because when the NBA does that, they leave themselves to be attacked by people who say, you literally support a regime and you're making money from a regime that is doing awful things to their people. And, and you're 100% right about that. And, I, and I'm and i not defending that at all. That, that's not my position. My position is, if, personally, my personal position is China isn't lying about who they are, right? And, and, maybe, and maybe the argument is, okay, but maybe the NBA is. That might be the NBA and the association's position. Where yes, I'm going to uh, understand the racist climate that happens in America, and I might not be as keen or educated on what's happening abroad, which I think is very uneducated. A, 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 a Martin Luther King said, "A threat to justice uh, anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere." So I absolutely agree with that. The same problem if if, if racism and 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 racial inequality exists in America. And, and you want to talk about it and you want to have a conversation, you should be just as willing to have a conversation in, in China. But I have more respect for a man in China who lets me know where he stands, even if he's wrong, which he is, than the person who would smile in my face and say that we're getting the problem solved in America and we're just in, in, in a, we're, we're in America. We have just as heightened of a, of a racist climate today than we ever have before. You'll try and suppress that conversation by saying, oh, look at what's happening in Africa or look what's happening in China, Nigeria, so on and so forth. But the problem still persists here no matter how long you try and suppress that conversation in America. I'm not, I'm not going to be the person to say that, that China is correct, but at least China doesn't lie about who they are. And, and lastly, in, in, terms of, uh, in terms of America, um, in, in this country, uh, I, I just find it very hypocritical for us to say that you have freedom of speech, but then when uh, black people in the NBA exercise this freedom of speech, they say that's not the place to do it. Then when we go out in the streets and we loot, you say that's not the way to do it. We march on Washington, people get beat down, we, we, have, a, we have a bloody Sunday. So it seems like no matter what we try and do to get our voices heard, there's always going to be another rebuttal. And as long as you focus on the people who are oppressing you and you're more worried about their rebuttals than you are about getting results, you're never going to get results. Okay, Silas, that was some good content. We're going to take a quick break and then come up next after the break on Barbershop Sports. So we're going to get into some stuff with the NBA playoffs. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we still have Silas Garrison with us. So, Silas, so much to talk about in the NBA. First, what we need to do is, off the air, we had a conversation about Paul George, and Paul George has been playing awful. I think he was 3-for-14 in the last game as the Clippers play the Dallas Mavericks. They're playing them tonight. 
And uh, you mentioned some things about why maybe Paul George is struggling. So just elaborate that for everybody, Silas. Oh, I can't wait to have this conversation. <laughs> Let me tell you something, y'all. <laughs> I'm about to spill the tea up in here, you heard? Oh, I'm about to spill the tea for y'all. Okay, so check this out. Paul George, if, if, if for anybody who doesn't believe me, this is common knowledge across NBA uh, officials, across the NBA period. This, is, this isn't anything new. Paul George, uh, back in 2013 and 2014, was dating Kelly uh, uh, Rivers. Kelly Rivers is the is the uh, daughter of Doc Rivers, his his present coach. Doc er, Paul George had an affair with Kelly Rivers and impregnated a porn star. After that, he begged her. And asked her to give her a million dollars, a million dollars, to not have the baby. She reluctant, saying that money isn't enough to get rid of my child. And then Paul George decided, well then, okay, I'll just deal with you then. And then, and then, and then Callie Rivers, of course, said that you're a monster, you're a sick, you're a sick person, and then ended up leaving. Now, here's where the story gets spicy, right? Callie Rivers ended up meeting Seth Curry. And those two got married. So now Doc Rivers is the father-in-law to Seth Curry, who plays on the Mavericks, who's been putting foot in Paul George and the Clippers. Meanwhile, Paul George over here, happy with his porn star wife and and and, and, and children who he paid a million dollars to not have in the first place, is shooting less than 29% for the series. Meanwhile, Luka Dottich is in his bag like the fries at the bottom. So, just to, just to paint this uh, and put it in its proper context, Paul George, Kelly Rivers, Paul George affair, ends up getting his own family. Paul George now plays for the same man who is the, who is the father of the person who he cheated on. Kelly Rivers is now with Seth Curry, the point guard of the, of the Mavericks, who's also putting foot in Paul George and who is the father-in-law of the coach of Paul George. To see how this whole thing comes full circle. Oh, nobody has drama like the NBA does. And you forget the Clippers are the team where Lou Williams is getting wings, too. And, the, and you know what the crazy part is? That's <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and you know what the crazy part is, Daryl? We're having that conversation. We haven't even gotten to the games yet. <laughs> like, like, that's a storyline even of itself. Would we haven't you, even gotten to the game. Would you be mad if your team out went to get wings in, in this in uh, a bubble scenario? Oh, say that again? Would you be mad if you were Lou Williams' teammate and uh, he had to go get some wings? Oh, yeah, I'd be mad. <laughs> I'd be mad. You're not going to do that to me. <laughs> Come on, Daryl. You know who you, you know who I am. That's so disrespectful. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't play none of that. Okay, so... To me, we're at a crossroads tonight in the NBA when the Mavericks and Clippers play. Luka was spectacular in Game 4, tied the series 2-2, and I think it's an interesting time where, I told you, I, I think you can make an argument Luka's the best offensive player in the NBA. I, I wouldn't quite say he is the best, but I think it's hard-pressed to find many guys that are above his level, for sure. Do you think if Luka wins this game that we have to start looking at him and being like, is he a top-five player in the NBA? Because it's impressive if they, if they beat the Clippers, particularly given the fact that Porzingis is not playing for half the series. Right. No, I, I, I still won't be able to do that because you don't earn top-five by winning just a series, and it's just too early to, 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 um, to really grant him that type of title as top-five player in the NBA. Um, we've seen this on numerous occasions. Even 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 a player who's been average can lift himself up for a series. I'm going to need to see this for an entire playoff run, right? We're only I mean they're the seventh seed for a reason. Like let's be very clear, they have two all stars on that team and they are a seventh seed. That doesn't get thrown away just because you're holding your own with the Clippers, right? So and and by the way, the Clippers themselves. They really haven't even played together for, for, for the duration of the season. So there's just a lot of things that go into to, to me giving somebody a title called a top five player in the league. However, do I think he has the potential to be the best player in the world very, very soon? 
Absolutely. I just It's just hard for me to say right now he's a top five player because I've only seen it in one series. I haven't seen it any other time. Is he better at the same age than LeBron was? I know you love LeBron, Silas. Uh, no, I won't say that um, because I will say this. LeBron had a much worse... So here's the thing. I will say... Luka it has started his career off much better than LeBron James has. That doesn't mean that he was a better player than LeBron did when he came into the league. LeBron came into the absolute worst scenario that he ever could have came into by going to Cleveland. I mean, you talk I mean, talk about just a terrible team. At least the Mavericks had Kristaps Porzingis and then they were able to pair that with Luka Doncic. And now you have two legitimate premium all-stars, not just all-stars, but all-stars in the West. Like, like you know this. It, just, it matters more when you're an all-star in the West. Um, so, like, that that's something that I'm paying attention to. LeBron James came into just a terrible situation. I, I want to know what it would look like if LeBron maybe came in from the start with a Kyrie Irving. Or if he came in from the start with a Dwayne Wade, right? He never really had that afforded to him. So, yes, I can I can say that Luca's having a more successful career right now at, at the start of his career. But I, but you have to take this thing into consideration. LeBron James, number one, was coming from high school. He was 18. Luca has been playing professional basketball <laughs> since he was like 15 years old, right? So, like, so then Luca came in better. Men. So then he came um, in better. So then Luka came in better than LeBron. No, 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 no. But, well, I, I, okay, so wait a minute. I don't think just because you played against grown men and you did good, that means that you're better than LeBron James when he came in. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that look, that he has been afforded better opportunities than LeBron has. Yes, that may, I, and I think, and when I, the reason why I brought that up is, I think because of those opportunities, that is what has gotten him to a point like a LeBron James did when he came into the league. LeBron, when he came into the league, he was six foot nine, two hundred something pounds, fast as ever, right? Like he just had natural talent. What I'm saying is, what Luca's gift is, is that he was able to play professional sports at 15 years old, and that got him ready the same way that LeBron's natural athleticism had him ready. But I won't say that he, that Luca is a better player than LeBron when he came in because LeBron came into an awful situation. Luca came into a better situation. So I just need to see more before I can say that. So you would take LeBron slightly? You would say LeBron the same as better? I would take LeBron slightly. This kind of reminds me of the conversation like when people were arguing like, oh, is Carmelo better or is LeBron better coming in? It's like the truth will get revealed eventually, right? Like, like only time's going to tell that. But, like, if you ask most people, like, is LeBron Jeff better or is Carmelo better? Most people would have told you LeBron. But, again, Carmelo was in a little bit of a better situation than LeBron was. So, as a result, of course, he, his numbers and, and my, it be, might be inflated and it might look better than what it actually was when they came into the league. But the truth got revealed overall. It's the exact same thing here with Luka. I'm not saying that. First of all, I, 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 it, it is hyperbole to say that Luka is going to be better than LeBron James right now. But in terms of just... The way he's starting, absolutely, he's having a better start than LeBron James did. But I also know this, LeBron led a team that had a squeegee and a mop bucket to the finals when he was 24 years old. But, but what Luka's doing right now, and, and Luka doesn't have the talent LeBron is, but the Clippers are better than the Pistons were. Luka is absolutely better statistically. Luka also has a better team around him to pass statistics. I, I agree with you, but I'm saying Luka's also playing better teams. Like, the Clippers are better than the, those Detroit Pistons that... Well, 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 I guess what I'm saying is, if Luka does this, and he pulls this off against the Clippers, and then he does what he does against Denver and, and, and Utah, whoever wins that series, then I'm saying I think you can compare that to LeBron's run. I absolutely, no, absolutely, absolutely. This will be, but, 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 here, but, but here's the point, and this is what we have to recognize. This isn't a regular seventh seed, right? Like, the NBA season got cut short, and me and you have had conversations about this too. Really, the seeding starts after the All-Star break. You know what I mean? Like, for, for all intents and purposes, we really get the seeding after the All-Star break. And the All-Star break really, I mean, after the All-Star break, pretty much the whole pandemic happened, and then we weren't even able to really get the seeding properly. If you would have had the Mavericks continue their season, what would have happened? They would have been a seventh seed. They'd probably be a five, four seed. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's, it's hyperbole, I think, to, to say that the Mavericks aren't all, there's this, this awful seventh seed. No, that's where they finished when the season ended. But they still had like a half a season left to go. You know, so so there's just a couple things that you have to take into consideration. Do I believe that that Luka Doncic is playing 
than LeBron James did when he came into the league, absolutely. But just because you're playing better than somebody when they came into the league doesn't mean that you're a better player than when that person was in the league at that time. That's fair. Do you think, and we didn't talk about this either, in terms of the uh, Montrezl Herald, Luca Scuffle, uh, Montrezl called him a a B white boy. Was that what it was? He said something. Cause okay, okay, I'm gonna have to say it on air. He just, just, I'm just saying one time. He called Luca Doncic a bitch ass white boy. That's what he called him. And let me be very clear. The white boy thing got no like that did not get y'all mad. Like let's just stop. Nobody got mad when you're yeah white boy. Y'all play that funky music, white boy. Now, come on, stop. You didn't get mad about white boy. When you add the B word onto that, that's where the disrespect comes in. Let me make it very clear. If you call me a B anything, we got problems. But here's where I got upset. When people try and afflate that, what, see, now if we would have called him the N word, you'd be mad. What in the world is the equivalent to the n-word in this in the in the english dictionary there is no equivalent whatsoever when you tell me that it's racist for for montrez harrell to call him a white boy that is absolutely ridiculous and it's absurd i, I do i think he should have said it absolutely not does that mean that that's racist absolutely not if somebody's but, but, but when somebody says silas but if i was like yeah black boy that would be racist and one of the reasons is well actually there's two reasons number one Racism is constricted through power. Black people do not have the power to actually change things in this society as it's presently constructed. That's racism. It was was it prejudice? What Montrez said, Harold said, absolutely, completely prejudice. Because you're because you're because you're you're basically diminishing and qualifying him based off of his race. That's prejudice. But there's no power that's attached to that whatsoever. So we got so in in, in prejudice and racism, those words are not to be used interchangeably. They're not the same thing. Um, so so that's why I had a problem with that. However, Montrez Harrell was completely wrong for, for um, assessing race to it. If you you know this happens all the time on the court. We're like, yeah, white boy, or that one. Like, if, if Montrez would have said this, yo, that, that white boy can ball. I tell you every day, or not you, but like every day I watch Luka Doncic, you know what I say? That's a mean white boy. I say that every day. We say he's the best white player since Larry Bird. Why? Because he is. He's not the best black person player since Larry Bird. He's the best white boy since Larry Bird. That's true. But to call him a, a B-ass white boy, that's absolutely unacceptable. You're diminishing him. I wish Luca would have put hands on him. I wish Luca was about that smoke, and he should have punched Montrezl Harrell in the mouth to let any man call you the B-word in front of, your, in front of anybody who you respect be called a b-word is absolutely disrespectful but trust if you ask luka Dantich, he would rather be called a white boy than a b-word any day of the week that's fair do you think we need to stop with qualifying and stuff like that because i feel like kind of luka would it people keep saying luka luka's the best white player since larry bird and i mean maybe you could argue dirk Nowitzki. there's probably a couple other people maybe you could argue but i mean steve nash two-time mvp but like luka's one of the best players like in just a long time, period, watch regardless it, of race. It, watch it, watch it, watch it. Easy. Don't give me hyperbole. His his first two years, he is better than most players ever. And the only and the only names that really come to mind off the top of my I mean LeBron's really the only one that comes up up at the top of my head immediately. At this yeah, age. I, I would at agree. the re- re- relatively to age and everything, like Kobe averaged seven point seven points. 7.6 points as a rookie. Like, Luka was 10 times better than Kobe was at the same age. With all due respect to Kobe. That's just a fact. So I think when we look, we put Luka kind of in this box, like, Luka's just really damn freaking good. So there's a couple people that you're missing. Uh, you, you also, you know, you got to add in Magic Johnson, right? That's fair. That's uh, fair. You got to add in. And there's only a couple names, though. There's only a couple names. There's not many people you can name. No, no, okay, I agree with you. I agree with you. Yes, absolutely. That, if, that, if your argument is like, Cy, sure, you can name more people, but like at the end of the day, that list is like really good company. You're absolutely right. Can I see Luca being a Hall of Famer? Yes. Is Luca going to win multiple rings? Yes, absolutely. 
I'm not taking anything away from Luca. By the way, I want Luca to win this series. <laughs> like, like, let's be 100% clear. I want Luca to win this series 100%. But it's just, it's, when, you, when you start saying, wait, he might be just the best player, period, that's not the case. That's not true. That's when we get into hyperbole. I'm not saying the best player. What I'm saying is, at this age, you could argue. Uh, and I don't think he is, but... Where Luka is in comparison to his years in the league and his age, he's better than most players ever. Like, most players in the NBA are not this good in their second year. Like, I would agree. I would agree 100%. I, I, and, and you know what? A lot of people will say, well, it's because he's been playing pro since he was like, well, no, he was playing pro because he's been that good. Yeah, like... Like, like you, can't, you, can't, you, can't, you, can't, you can't use that against him. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I agree with you 100%. Absolutely. I, I have no argument with that whatsoever. So really quickly, I want to shift to the Lakers. Uh, they tore apart the Blazers last night. Ran through them like Grim Rubin ran through tax dollars in the 80s. And uh, Dame is hurt. Apparently Dame's not playing game five. He's done. So, like dinner. so uh, gentlemen sweep. Uh, I thought the series was going seven. I was wrong. Uh, wrong. LeBron didn't even really... They, to me, the Lakers didn't even play all that well, and they're blowing out the Blazers, which to me is kind of a scary thing. I don't think they're playing even close to full capacity. Uh, and we've talked about this numerous times, Silas. So I'm starting to think, and I even mentioned to you, as we talked about also Oklahoma City and the Rockets, whoever can beat them, in a, if any of them can beat them in the series. I personally think Houston has a better chance. You think it's OKC, but... I don't see either of those teams at this moment in time being able to beat the Lakers in a seven-game series. And the way the Clippers are looking and what Luke is doing, I don't know if the Clippers could truly beat the Lakers. And the Bucks, I'm still very unsure of. So, are the Lakers just better than everybody else? Like, just a clear level above everybody else? Well, I will say this. Or am I being a prisoner of the moment? Am I being a prisoner of the moment? Um, I, I think two things can be true. I think you can be a prisoner of the moment because they clearly look like the hottest team in the league right now and they shut down the hottest player in the league right now. I can also say that this is who they were before this shutdown occurred. Before this shutdown occurred, they were the best player. They were by far the, the hottest team in the league, right? And after, you know, the tragic passing of the late Kobe Bryant, you could tell that after that first game where they played Portland in, in, in Staples Center, after that, they, they, they took it up another level. And you're seeing that right now. They are taking, they, they, they are, LeBron is saying, look, I have arrived. LeBron has arrived to the bubble, okay? Like, that's the one thing that is true. LeBron is here at the bubble, okay? Uh, there was an ATB out for him at first. He's here. He's like, yo, I'm in playoff mode now. So, like, it's a dub. All you guys know what time it is now because you know what happens when I shut this thing down. So that's one. What I will say is this. When you have a situation like this where everything gets shut down and it's just basketball and really it comes down to discipline and repetition and it comes down to staying to staying disciplined even when the shutdown had occurred, LeBron was working the entire time. Your leader was working the entire time. I don't believe every single player was in the gym every day like LeBron was. But we saw it on Instagram every day. This man lifting every day. This man playing basketball every day. You would have never thought that LeBron had stopped anything. The only thing that changed was that ugly beard that he has. <laughs> so, like, that's it. And, and, and he looks like, oh, and you ever, yo, did you ever have the Reese's Cup and then you peel off the Reese's Cup and then, like, there's that little spot right there where, like, the chocolate's not there anymore on the back? Yes, I have. That's, like, what LeBron's hair looks like right now. <laughs> yo, chill. So, like, other than, other than that, LeBron has looked phenomenal. So, and, and that's your leader. So I'm not surprised by that because LeBron is also the most disciplined player in the league. And in order to win a championship like this this year, you need to be significantly disciplined. LeBron's also one of the best leaders, so that then gets equated to the rest of the team. So I'm not surprised by that at all. Why can't Paul George find playoff mode like LeBron? Because pathetic P, terrible, terrible Paul P, George Paul, had an affair with Cali Rivers, or, or on Cali Rivers. And now Seth Curry is now giving him the business. <laughs> Stop, it's and, 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 Seth, and Seth Curry wants to face you. Okay. And it goes, 
like, I'm not done. I'm not done making fun of Paul George yet. <laughs> and, it gets, and it gets even worse because you because Seth Curry wants to shoot this dude the fade. <laughs> he wants to shoot Paul George the fade. Chill, chill, Silas. Silas. Okay, so Silas, last question for you. We, we've had kind of a bet on uh, the Raptors-Celtics. How do you foresee this series going? I got Raptors in seven. I'm on the record right now. Raptors in seven. Say it again? Raptors in seven. We're not going to be disrespectful? I, I said Raptors in seven. Is that disrespectful? Oh, you, oh, you said Raptors in seven. Oh, I couldn't hear you. I, I apologize. Just for, for everybody that's there, I don't know if you guys know. So me and me and Daryl right now, we're not in the same room. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, currently calling into the podcast. So I, I, I couldn't hear him, so forgive me for that. Um, so yeah, so Daryl said in seven. I have I have the Celtics. Didn't the, did the Celtics sweep the... Uh, the Celtics yes. swept the 76ers, right? Yes. I have the... Um, let me see. I think I have the Celtics in five. Really? I might, I might have them in six. I might have them in six. Let me, let me qualify it. I'm, I, I'm going to take them at six, but I would not be surprised at all if they shut this thing down in five. Oh, my gosh. The, look, the Raptors are not that good. They have not played anybody. Like, they played the Nets without a Kyrie, without a DeAndre Jordan, and without, and without, a, without, a, without a Kevin Durant. That is, it is a miracle set from above that they even made the playoffs. So like no, I'm not, and 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 for everybody out there, I want to ask you guys a serious question, just just so I have to, just because I have this platform right now to ask you know so many people. Don't mention anything about Kawhi. Don't mention anything about Kawhi. I am gonna mention something. About <laughs> Kawhi. How on earth can you make both arguments? What on one side you're like, oh my god, Kawhi drug this terrible team Raptors to the playoffs, and then he drugs them through the championship all the way to win an NBA title, but then. We're going to make the same argument and say, oh my God, look how good the Raptors are being without Kawhi. And Kawhi, he might get bounced as the two seed against against a 21-year-old who just could start drinking. So it's like, okay, did Kawhi drag them to the finals? Did Kawhi get them to the finals? But then he got very lucky because Kevin Durant and Clay Thompson got hurt? Or was he just a part of a really good team, which were the Raptors? Like, which one is it? Like, you can't have all these arguments. You're killing me with this, Silas. Silas, thank you for coming on the pod, man. I appreciate it. Bye. See you, And once again, I want to thank both Silas Garrison and Sam Fortier of the Washington Post for coming on the pod. Appreciate both of them coming on. Haven't had Silas in a minute. Haven't had my guy Silas in a long time, so appreciate Silas coming on. Also, Sam, always appreciate when I can get him on. Me and Sam, we were kind of talking about off the air and about how how much sports has changed since the last time I had Sam on, and he was covering the Washington Nationals. Now he's covering uh, the Washington football team, right? You have COVID, you have the death of Kobe Bryant, you have kind of all the social justice unrest in sports. Not only that for Sam, I mean, we're talking about the Redskins, a trademark name in the NFL. It has now changed, and we call them the Washington football team. So I just found all that interesting, how much things have changed. And uh, shout out to Sam for coming on. And I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode. The 193rd episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.